Boy, isn't it great to, uh, to be here on December 31st, 2023. Uh, God in his goodness has allowed us uh, to be here, to be gathered together on the uh, eve of another a new year, 2024. And uh, we never, ever, ever, never want to take it for granted uh, that he has given us permission to journey through these last 12 months. And uh, so it's a privilege to be here this morning and uh, to be able to continue uh, with this uh, teaching in Hebrews. We'll be closing out Hebrews this morning in uh, chapter, chapter 13. And uh, the author of Hebrews has done a, a masterful job in, in presenting a case for Christ as the superior son, superior servant, superior sacrifice, and now seated on the superior seat in heaven at the right hand of God. And at the close of uh, chapter 12, we're also reminded that he will one day be the, reign, uh, the king reigning over a superior kingdom to which we've all been invited as a result of our faith in Christ. And so as a lot of the writers do when he finishes with the great theological doctrinal part of his message, he finishes off by sharing how people ought to live, how we ought to conduct ourselves as believers, as followers of Christ in light of who Christ is. And so in this 13th chapter here, there's a list of attributes that we're going to, uh, to be looking at. But something happened in me when I, thought, when I saw a list. Because I know that we're at that point in the year, we only got a few more hours, where we're making lists of things that we want to see happen in 2024 whether it's with jobs, whether it's exercise, whether it's uh, trips that we've always wanted to take, whatever it may be, uh, we got these lists either written out or in our heads. And as I'm thinking about uh, this message this morning and, and what the author of, of Hebrews has written, um, I don't want us to go into 2024 with another list, you know, our Christian list of things we ought to do. Uh, because as I understand scripture, and as I think about my own life, when I came to know Christ, uh, I was not in pursuit of a list. I was in pursuit of a life. The pursuit of a life, and that life is Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And on May 14th, 1965, when I placed my faith in Christ, I placed my faith in a person. Not a principle, not a program, not a process, uh, not a list, but a life. And so when I talk about uh, these verses this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, I want to talk about them in what I call a, uh, the Christ life, a Christ life. Not a checklist, but a Christ life. And to understand how Christ himself lived out these attributes, and because he lives in me, it is his desire to live these out through my life and through your life as you've, connect, as you've committed your life to Christ. So I'm going to read the first uh, eight verses here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. It's what we'll read. But I want you to keep in mind that this is not about a list, but it's about a life. Starting at verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. 
for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you indeed for your gracious commitment to us to allow us to be gathered here on December 31st, 2023. Thank you for how you've blessed us, you've provided for us. For some of us, it's not been easy. For some of us, there's been loss. But Father, we're here and we thank you. And we look forward now to a new year. And we want to look forward to a year in which the life of Christ is manifested in us and through us to a world that is in desperate need of Jesus. So to that end, we ask that you would bless this time and your word to your honor and to your glory. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk about not a checklist, but a Christ life. I think one of the things that scripture bears out over and over again, throughout the, particularly throughout the New Testament, is that to be a follower of Christ, to have placed our faith in Christ, is not about anything but his life in us. It's not about a transaction, it's about a transfusion. It's transfusion of the blood of Christ into our lives through his death on the cross. And now with the opportunity for him to live out his life through us. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. This idea of a Christ life is brought out even by Jesus himself in John chapter 15, verse five, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, and if I had Pastor Noe's little tablet, I'd be circling up here. I'm gonna learn how to use that. I guarantee you, learn how to use that. Whoever abides in me and then circle, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, I am the vine. The branches draw life from the vine. They don't draw a list. They draw life. And Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you cannot do anything. Then there's that passage in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul kind of iterates a similar concept. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But what? Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The life of those who are believers, those who follow Christ, is a Christ life. Christ is not in the grave. Christ has ascended and he's now seated at the right hand of, of the Father. But in us dwells his spirit. And throughout the New Testament, 
time after time again, Colossians chapter 1, Christ in us, the hope of glory. 1 Corinthians says that test and examine yourself to be sure that Christ is in you, that he lives in us. And so as I look at these attributes here in chapter 13, I want us to look not so much at a list as I do the life. And so what I'm going to do in this time that we have together is I'm going to look at the life of Christ and see how he in his ministry on earth, lived out these attributes in his own life. Verse 1 says, let the love of the brethren continue. Love is the idea of giving away, laying down, or taking up on oneself a weight. Much of what Christ did with us, where he gave away his life, where he laid down his life, where he went to the cross and bore, took the weight of our sin, on the cross. I like what it says in John 15, 13. He, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than one, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In the next verse, he says, I call you friends. I don't know about you, but to know that I'm a friend of Jesus rocks my world. And those of you who've been around me long enough know that I understood that for some reason when I was 11 years old in Russellville, Kentucky, an old Union Baptist church when I first gave my life to Christ, I came to understand that I had come in relationship not only with my Savior, my Lord, but with a friend. And he became my best friend. In John chapter 17, uh, 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Love lays down. Love bears the burden of others. So a question I have this morning as Christ lives in you and lives in me as followers of Christ. What do we give away? What do we lay down? What weight do we bear in our relationship with one another? You know, I just want to remind us that you and I as believers, we live under a glass dome. And Jesus says in John 13 that they will know that you are my disciples. How? by your love for one another. Now remember, the author here is writing to the church. He's writing to believers who are going through a hard time. And he says of these believers, listen, do not let love disappear. Sometimes when we go through hard times, we go in and we circle the wagons as an individual or as a body. And he says, even though that you're going through a hard time as this church was, do not let love be diminished. And in what ways, with one another, are we demonstrating love? In verse 2, he says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The attribute here is kindness. Kindness. Kindness is inviting in making space for. During Jesus' time, many travelers had to depend on the kindness of host families. 
because the inns or the hotels were uh, not suitable for what, whatever reason. And so oftentimes what they had to do is they had, as strangers, be invited into the home. Hospitality, our word hospital comes from that. And one of the things, when we look at the life of Jesus, uh, Jesus was the epitome of kindness. And Jesus had a way of making room and inviting in folks who are strangers to the, uh, to the uh, sense of intimacy with God. The religious leaders of their time called them sinners and, and kept them at a distance. And yet Jesus shows up and invites them in. A stranger is simply somebody that we do not know or are not familiar with with regards to their own story and their journey. But there's an example of this in Mark chapter 10 where folks are bringing their children to Jesus. And his very smart and well-bodied bodyguards, his disciples are saying, are rebuking him. Get those kids out of here. Take them to child care. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, let's make room for those children and allow those children to come to me. He says, but when Jesus saw it, he says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He says, be hospitable, be inviting to strangers. You know, a stranger, again, is somebody you don't know, somebody whose story or whose journey that you're not familiar with. And I believe that week in and week out, sitting here now in front of me are a lot of strangers. We all raise our hands together. We all sing praises together. But I guarantee you, there's somebody sitting in front of you and back of you to the side of you who's a stranger. I hope that's not your spouse, but everybody else. <laughs> Why? Because even though we're worshiping together and spending time together, there's things about that person in front of you and back of you you don't know. Essentially, they're a stranger. And what this word tells us is that we need to be careful that we invite folks in. That's what's so great about the small groups and the connect groups and so forth. It's because we get to know each other. There's an opportunity to be kind, even to those within the body of Christ. So I ask you, who are the strangers that you're inviting in and creating space for in your life? Let the love continue. Be hospitable. Be kind. The third one in verse 3, he says this, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Don't miss that, circling. As, the, as though in prison with them and, and those who are mistreated since you are in the body. Compassion is the idea of suffering with or, be, or being bound to. Some would say it is the ability to walk in somebody else's skin. Or the way I like to say it to to engage their story, to be part of their story, of their journey. Kindness or hospitality is more external in terms of how we engage folks, but compassion is the ability or the willingness to engage people in their context and out of their story. And again, in the life of Jesus for his three and a half years, in his incarnational engagement, he constantly over and over and over again inserted himself into the life story of those that he ministered to. And there's probably no greater example of this than in Jesus's relationship with Samaritans. Samaritans, you have to understand, the Jews hated them. 
They're of mixed race, a mixed breed. And they had nothing to do with Samaritans. And yet time and time and time again throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is talking about Samaritans. He even makes the hero of a story of somebody that's, that shows love as a neighbor. He makes the hero a Samaritan. The nerve of Jesus to do that. But one that I want to point out here this morning is found in John chapter 4, where Jesus shows up at a well with a Samaritan woman. And she says this to him, get the flavor of this, of this discussion. In uh, verse 4, John 4, verse 9, she says, the Samaritan, it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, you can just hear it, feel it. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman, woman, of Samaria? Parenthetically, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. To be called a Samaritan is to be called a derogatory term. And they called Jesus a Samaritan at some point. Verse 40. Get this. So when the Samaritans, after he dealt personally with the uh, Samaritan woman, she went and told everybody about how he had told her everything about her. And so it says, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him, Jesus, the Jew, as the lady said, to stay with them. And what did Jesus do? He stayed not one day, but two. Jesus, throughout the course of his ministry, constantly found himself walking in the space of those who were different from him, distant from him, disadvantaged. That was his ministry. That is the Jesus that lives in us who have given our lives to Christ. Frederick Buechner put it, compassion, this way. Compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for the feeling, for feeling what it is, what it is like to live inside somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you rich. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy in my life until there is peace and joy in Rich's life. That's what compassion is. And that can be tough for us. You see, the prisoner has a story. He has a prison story. And what the author of Hebrews says you are to engage that prisoner. You are to think about that prisoner as if you are in prison with them. What is that like? The prisoner has a prison story. That may not be your story. But that's his. And so the Bible tells us that we are to engage his story, not diminish his story because it's not ours. That's compassion. We do kindness well. Compassion takes a little work. 
And I think one of the reasons for that is because we have this thought that oneness equals sameness. That oneness equals sameness. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes that we're all one. There is no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, no slave, no master. At the cross, everybody is the same. And everybody who comes to Christ and, and invites him into their life and accepts what he did on the cross, we become baptized into the body of Christ. We are positionally one. But we're not necessarily practically one because we have different stories. We've come different journeys. I sit down with couples all the time and I talk about couples who sit there, even though they love each other and all that, they've got a lot of work to do because they come from family of origins and backgrounds that are different. And they've been called to be one. Well, before the Lord, when they say their vows, they are one in that sense, but practical oneness takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of humility. Why? Because we're, we're asked to step into the skin, into the life, into the story, into the trauma of other people. And remember, remember now he's talking to the church. We celebrate our great diversity here at North Phoenix. We're one positionally. But we have many, many stories and journeys that has brought us to the seats that you're sitting in this morning. And the question is, how do we engage each other? How are we doing with walking in the skin of and feeling of another's story and journey that's different than ours? And that can often be a real challenge. But Christ living in us is the one who empowers us to do that. That's why I'm saying when we move into 2024, it's not about a list. It's about setting free the life that is in us, and that life is Jesus Christ. There used to be this thing called uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I think that's it. You know what a better one is? What did Jesus do? It's right there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All we have to do, and that's what I'm going to be challenging you to do this year in 2024, is to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and get to know Jesus as he's presented in context in his culture. The fourth one is honor. Got with me? Oh, okay. I just want to, want to make sure. Let me make sure you're in here. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. He said, okay, I'm going to see how he works this one. Uh, honor it means to ascribe value, esteem highly. And here's how I'm going to share it with you. When I had the opportunity and the privilege to travel and speak on college campuses, one of the things that I did is I helped, and I spoke on the whole area of sexuality when I would speak on these secular campuses. And one of the things that I would remind them of, and as Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is that in, a, in, in the sexual union, I'll keep everything, you know, family here, in, in the sexual union, it's not just physical. It's not just physical. 
when, when we are involved in a, in a union with somebody in a sexual nature, we bring everything. We bring personality, we bring spirituality. And what Paul says, you know what else, what else happens to those of us who are in Christ? We bring Jesus into that union. Now he's in Corinth, he's writing to the Christians, there must be some crazy stuff going on in Corinth. Because he makes this, he makes this point where he says, do you not know, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And then uh, in between here, he says, well, what sense does it make to bring the body of Christ into someone who's not your wife? Let's we'll leave it at that. Verse 17, but, we, but he who joined, is joined to the Lord becomes one body with him. Verse 18, therefore flee sexual morality. And the point that I'd always make, even on the college campus, is that when you come together in a union, sexual union, you're bringing your whole personality. It's not just physical. So just think about it. This relationship, personality, whole soul, come out of that one, go to another one. You're bringing your whole soul, leaving part of it there. It's everything. But those of us who name the name of Jesus, who are followers of Jesus Christ, we must keep in mind that Christ lives in us. And so that we must honor God's original design for marriage, and that is uh, a relationship where, where our sexuality is expressed is in marriage between a husband and a wife. That's where you honor. So remember, I've, I've blown it. That's okay. God forgives, and we can start fresh. But we ourselves have to be in the frame of mind that how God set it up from Genesis forward was that marriage and the purpose for it was to fill the earth. So how are we following Christ, honoring God's design for marriage? In verses 5 and 6, he talks about contentment. He says, please do not love money. The idea of contentment is being sufficient with or trusting fully. And one of the dangers with money, there's nothing wrong with money. It is the love of money and the pursuit of money at all costs. And what's so crazy about it is what happens is that we are in pursuit to fill the holes in our souls with money or things that only Christ can fill. You see, even people that have money can be chasing money. It has what I call the wilderness of the soul that is dry. And we think somehow that money or things can fill that when only Christ himself can do it. Contentment. Jesus himself, after the Samaritan woman interview, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, eat. And Jesus says this, no, I'm good. My food is doing the will of my father. John 4:31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Lord, Rabbi, eat. And he says, no, mine is to accomplish the work that God died. He was totally content in doing what God had called him to. Let me ask you, as followers of Christ, how settled and at peace is your soul with the sufficiency of Jesus? Doesn't mean you try to, don't try to better yourself, don't mean you try to get a, uh, uh, increase your income. It's not that. It's just something inside of us that creates this discontent in our lives. In verse uh, 7 and then 7 and 18, uh, the author talks about the respect for church leadership. 
that we're to imitate, that we're to submit, and to pray for those who are in leadership. And again, I see Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 38. All Jesus is doing is submitting himself to his Father. He says in 638, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus himself submitted, his, uh, submitted himself to the leadership and the direction of his Father. How are we as followers of Christ respecting those that God has ordained to lead us? Are you praying for Pastor Noe and the pastoral staff? Are you praying for their personal relationship with the Lord? Are you praying for their faithfulness to the word? Are you praying for them and their, uh, and their, and their families? Are you praying that pastor and, and, and staff that clearly discern God's will as they give direction to the church? And then the last one in this uh, context is consistent worship. In verse 8 and 15 and 16, Worship is the unwavering faith in the Father and the Son, the sufficiency of Scripture. And what I find amazing in the life of Christ is that time and time again, Jesus would get away and pray. In Matthew chapter 14, uh, 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was alone. Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And it just rings my bell that if Jesus, the eternal son of God, needed to find time to get away and worship and spend with the Lord, how much more so does Emory need to do that? The question here is, as followers of Christ, are we worshiping seven days a week and not just on Sunday? God has not called us to follow and pursue a list, but he's called us to pursue a life. And that life is the indwelling Christ for those of us who've committed our life to Jesus Christ. And what I pray for you in 2024 is that you would spend time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and get to know Jesus of Nazareth. Know him in his cultural context. One of the challenges that we have is we kind of create this figure caricature of Jesus and it looks nothing like the Jesus of Scripture. And so that's my prayer. Keep your list, your other list, that's fine. But let's not make our walk and our uh, journey with Jesus about a list. But let's make it about Jesus himself as we move into this new year. Now I'm going to, in a few minutes, ask you to stand and I'm going to read the uh, benediction that's here in, um, uh, I keep wanting to say Luke, but in Hebrews 13. But I just want to say this, uh, as I see all these zeros on this clock up here in front of me. Um, if there's anyone here and you know in your heart that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I can't think of a better moment than now 
in the anticipation of transitioning into a new year, to come to that place and say in your heart to the Lord, Lord, I need you. I need you. I've been putting it off. I've been pushing it away, but I need you. And I hear you knocking at my, the door of my heart. And this morning, I want to open my life and give my life to you. And you can do that right where you're sitting in the quietness of your heart. It's just say, Jesus, I surrender. Thank you that you paid for my sins. You demonstrated your love for me by bearing the weight of my sins on that cross. And this morning, in the best way I know how, I place my faith in you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you that you didn't only die, but you rose again. And I want to begin this new year in a relationship with you. For those of you, perhaps, who have been walking with the Lord, have known the Lord for a while, maybe it's time for you to say, I need to get serious about the Christ life in me and surrender to him. Whatever that decision is, I pray that you would make that this morning, this day, in anticipation of the upcoming year. If that's something you would like to share with us or want us to pray with you, there'll be people up here in the front. I'll be up here. We invite you just to come up here afterwards and just say, hey, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to get serious about my relationship with Christ. Would you stand? And I just want to, many of you are probably familiar with this benediction, but I thought since the author provided it, I would share it. Uh, I just want to remind you that uh, our dear Pastor Noy will be back next week, kicking off the series on angels and demons. I will be leaning in to listen to that one, but uh, it's going to be great to have our pastor with us. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight everything we just talked about through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever amen Y'all run into 2024 and enjoy your life with Christ. God bless you. Thank you.